0: kids they said it will be fun they said who the heck are they anyway as moms we sacrifice a lot for our families our time our health our wallets our identity friendships personal care and of course our beloved sleep motherhood is a crazy ride one that is not meant to be braved alone it takes a village right well your village is here I'm your host Sabrina Greer and every week I'll be diving into the gray areas of motherhood with some very special guests This is not the highlight reel, but the real deal. So reheat that cup of coffee, turn up the volume and get ready for the reminder that you've got this mama. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in again. You are listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast Today, I have a very unique episode and it's sort of a tough topic to talk about. I thought with Bell Let's Talk Day just around the corner, I wanted to do an episode on mental health because it really does affect us all in some way. If not us personally, then we know somebody that's been affected by mental health, anxiety, depression, some form of mental illness. I'm loving how destigmatized it's getting and Bell has done an amazing job of helping people through that and you know it's it's becoming a lot easier to talk about and we're seeing a lot more people being candid about All of this, which is amazing, but when researching for this episode and scouting for the perfect guests. It was actually really tough. I was blown away by how many people even within our small community struggle with some form of mental illness. With it being a mom podcast. I thought, do we talk about postpartum depression specifically or maybe postpartum anxiety because I know so many people that struggle with this. But then I I kept going a little bit deeper and I thought rather than dedicating an entire episode to mental health awareness, since Bell's already done that for us and Let's Talk Day is just around the corner, as I said, I've decided to talk about and bring awareness to another topic that's often in the shadows, something that it's hard to talk about. It's very challenging to talk about, sometimes even harder to listen. So this is a trigger warning for our listeners today. I have with me Danielle Williams. Hi, Danielle. Hi. <laughs> and we're going to talk about grief. Um, I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to dive right in. So if um, if this is a topic that scares you, um, yeah, feel free to tune out for today because I think it's important to bring awareness and shed some light on, on this. And I couldn't think of a better guest than Danielle. So after the loss of, uh, loss of her firstborn son, Rourke, Danielle Williams put pen to paper and waded through the mountain of heartache by coming, becoming a self-proclaimed grief student. It was during her grief group therapy that she professed how she would die if she lost another child. Just a year later, Danielle would birth a still baby girl named Ellie. Danielle is an entrepreneur at heart. She's an avid early riser, coffee drinker, and spirit junkie. She's a grateful mother of two earthside girls and two angel babies. She's lucky to have married the love of her life, and Danielle firmly believes in the that there are gifts in all trauma. Our goal is to find them and then share them with the world. Oh, Danielle. I have had the absolute privilege of reading her story on such an intimate level. And I I can't wait to share your chapters with the world because you really do have a gift for writing and a way of sharing your story with such grace and such gratitude that I, I can't even... I, I, there's no words for it other than reading your beautiful chapters. But I wanted to talk to you today because it's, it is a tough topic to really sort of chew on and talk about to the public, right? So thank you for being so brave and coming here and, and diving into this with us today. Um, but yeah, I just maybe you could start by sharing a little bit more of your story with us. Obviously, I know it, but our listeners don't know too much about it. So whatever you're comfortable with sharing, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about you so our listeners can know who, who they're talking to today.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was um, pregnant for the second time because the first time uh, we had a miscarriage around eight weeks and I was uh, around 23 and a half weeks. Everything was going beautifully. Um, it was... June and we were excited for the summer. And we lived uh, just on the outside of Calgary near the, the, the Rocky Mountains and had all these plans for the summer to enjoy like pregnancy to its fullest. And then I started to have some pain in my um, sort of upper abdomen. I called my midwife, and it was the night before Father's Day. So it was like 5 a.m., I guess, on Father's Day. And she said, oh, it sounds like maybe gallbladder issue. I think you should go to the hospital. I'll meet you there. So I woke my husband up because I'd been in the bathtub sort of like praying this pain would go away, and it didn't subside. And so we we went to the hospital, and um, within minutes of getting there, it became like a medical emergency. I had... You know, like this memory of me just being on this stretcher with people just like over me, like all these faces. And it's a traumatic thing to talk about, mostly because it happened so fast and I felt like I was spiraling out of control, like like kind of like the movies and, and that sort of way the rest of the story played out too is it's it doesn't even feel real sometimes to talk about um, but I was diagnosed with preeclampsia and the pain I had was actually my liver um, that was in complete distress and up until that point my blood pressure had been perfectly normal um, my blood um, work had been normal so it came on very quickly and it was very early like 23 and a half weeks into the pregnancy so I was admitted, and I was admitted in sort of the um, the prenatal antepartum unit, which is to prevent pregnancies from, um, I guess, stopping early and, and keeping babies in as long as possible. And it kept being moved into sort of like the the ICU unit of that because um, things were getting really bad. And just to kind of put this into perspective, at the time, I didn't realize how serious it was. Um Probably, you know, like there was these little glimmers where my parents would come in and they'd be like, okay, Uh, you know, like they'd be shaking almost like hugging me and, and the concern in their face. And I was, I was like, I'm fine. I'm worried about this baby. And and everyone was concerned about me. Um, To put it in perspective though, about four months ago this year, a friend that I had met on Instagram, um, she actually passed away from. Preclampsia, and uh her baby survived and he's a micro preemie um but it does happen so it's it's a really serious pregnancy condition and i'm hoping even talking about this today that there's more awareness about you know like the symptoms and 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 how we really need to keep on top of it like if you're not feeling well at all it's it's a serious thing so I was admitted, and then for um, 12 days, you know, we we kept our perspectives as much as possible um, in check, uh, adopting this motto of um, Hakuna Matata and uh, having no worries because I didn't know what was going to happen, and neither did my husband Russ, and it was really terrifying. And you know, you're so in love with this child that you haven't even met yet, and grasping to you know every hope that it's going to work out and um it's it's a really scary thing to be having these appointments with neonatologists and and geneticists and and they're wondering like what's going to happen if the baby's born and you know we're at viability now 24 weeks and it's it's really scary so um you know every week we would have I should say every week, sorry. Every day we would have different tests at ultrasounds. And at some point, you know, Rourke being born was more important than him staying in for his health and mine. And so that decision was made on June 26th, which was uh, day 13 of being in the hospital. And he came out with a lion's roar. He, um, he was super, super tiny and Russ was uh, rushed off to the NICU with him and all the neonatologists. And my sister stayed with me because there were some complications and I was bleeding more than I should have. So I was in the C-section for about an hour longer than I should have been. And Russ was with our little boy just um, you know, praying that he was going to make it. So it was a really, really rocky start. and. Uh, you know, just, it shook us to our core. So it was probably 48 hours before I actually held him. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact timing, but it's kind of like a blur. You're just, you really have post-traumatic stress in that whole moment. Like it just doesn't feel real. So I remember when I I first held him though, which was actually a miracle in itself because um, a lot of people who have micropremies don't ever hold them, not anymore. if, the, if they survive, they hold them when they're several months old and they're strong enough. And he was pretty strong from the get-go. And so I got to hold him and it just takes your breath away. It's like, you know, we've had since then, we've had two healthy baby girls. And I have the same feeling holding them as I did holding him, which is just, you know, this knowing like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting to meet you this whole time. And, you know, your, your soul just is elevated in that moment. Absolutely.
0: It's so, it's such a difficult thing to talk about, but I really commend you and respect you so much for sharing your story. As I said, I've read your story on such an intimate level in both Mama 2 and Healthy Mama, and I feel so connected to you, not being a bereaved parent myself or, or someone who's lost a child. I still feel so connected to your journey and your story, and it helps me find perspective in my life it helps me find gratitude it helps me find the answers when I'm feeling stressed or trapped or scared in motherhood right so I don't I just don't I'm not sure you know the impact that you've had on me personally but I'm I know how many people you're going to touch with your story and it it just it's amazing so thank you for being so brave
1: Thank you, Sabrina. That that means like the, that really means the world to me because I think like after you have lost your child, so um, it was about 21 days or 23 days. 23 days. Sorry, my my timeline gets a little construed. It was 23 days and he had been fighting for his life. You know, there's so many moments where the nurses were joking around with us saying, Oh, when he's 18, you know, he's going to give you a run for your money with, with driving fast cars or whatever. And and so we had moments of hope where we were like, okay, we're pulling through, this is going to happen. And that's what the NICU ride is. So that was another perspective I wasn't prepared for was the NICU life. It's just, it's shattering. Like I, i said to Russ, like, the NICU is a place where I was the most shattered and the most inspired. Like, I would be pumping um, milk for the milk bank for Rourke, and I would be praying, like, just begging God, like, please, please, please pull them through. And then, um, you know, moments where you're just, like, screaming in joy because things are looking so good today. And it's just – it's the, the most emotional roller coaster you can imagine. And so – you know it, it's exhausting too and and I learned a lot about caring for people and and reaching out and having empathy and connecting with people because that's really what helped us was the really the army that stepped up to help us through that really horrible time and on his twenty third day of fighting um, it was no more you know it was he was too small for surgery and he had he had um Succumbed to neck which is a perforation of his bowels and he was septic and he needed surgery and he was super tiny he was one pound one ounce when he was born and so when he was uh, 26 and a half weeks um, when he was born and then 29 weeks when he passed away and when he passed away he was just under two pounds like he was just super super tiny so we made the hardest decision I think you know That you could dream up, yeah. But you know, it was an easy decision because his body was rejecting everything. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't. You know, they couldn't get IVs into him. They couldn't do like simple, simple things. So surgery was just completely, uh, you know, a a, a huge, huge um, risk. And in, I gotta give credit to the Alberta Children's Hospital because they knew that we were, you know, clinging on for everything, and so they had called another neonatologist who was on vacation, and he drove in four hours to come in and do a consult with us and give us his independent opinion, which was the same as the other surgeon. And so we met with his whole team, and it wasn't meant to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's that's not a decision I think anyone should ever have to make. And it still is really hard to think about. Um, however, I will say that in that moment, it, and I talk a little bit about this in the chapters, you know, it's, it was so shocking to me and to Russ how much uh, that moment was filled with love. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just it gives me goosebumps. Um, when Rourke passed, it was like he was relieved. Like, the whole room just filled with warmth. <laughs> And so it just, you know, it confirmed that that was the right thing to do. And really, like, you know, no child to live their entire life like that and be in pain. And it was, it was, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and you talk a lot in the chapter about what helped get you through that extremely difficult time. Do you want to share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so one of the things, um, well, a couple of things that really helped us was there are people around us who, although they hadn't lost children, you know, like they were just open-hearted and full of empathy. And I think everyone, like every parent can be empathetic to this. Um, And I mean, anyone, not even parents, everyone can be empathetic to the situation, but truly showing empathy in a way that you're not afraid to push the person, you know, to, to walk through the grief and carry it rather than brushing it aside. So there's a difference between, you know, like what we got a lot of, which was, I'm so sorry, um, let me know if I can do anything. And of course, those people are, are empathetic. Um, but it was the people who really like held our hand, called us daily or weekly to make sure that we're still around. Like, are you know, I'm just in here for you. Just saying something as simple as like, this is the shittiest thing ever. Like, I don't even know what to say. This is just, I, I can't imagine. That is really the perfect thing to say, because it is. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's no way around, you know, there's no words to make this better. So it was the people who really held their hands and, and walked with us daily, and also pushed us. So I had a friend, um, she's a really dear friend, to me, she said to me one day, and I wasn't really ready to hear this, but she had said, um, it's important to honor Rourke's spirit and not create ghosts. And uh, I, like, I really wasn't ready to hear this, and it was the single most important life changing thing for me in our, my grief walk, because what it means is Rourke is beside me every day. Like his spirit is with me, and. I know I can talk to him in any second and and he's with me. I honor his spirit by the way that we live our life and by showing up and by saying his name and by living a life with courage and kindness which is how I felt he lived his entire, you know, 23 days full of courage and showed everyone like the most important thing in life which is love and so that's how we live our life and we do that and we honor Rourke when we do it um if we were creating ghosts it's kind of I think the simplest thing to do when you're grieving and that's to do the coulda woulda shoulda and every day you could say oh Rourke would have been almost five years old because he, he's turned he would turn five this year what would that be like and then it's just agonizing to think about that like it just, it's not helpful at all. So when my friend told me that, it really was the, the biggest shift in my thinking. And it helped me get to a place of acceptance. Okay, this is the way I'm parenting now, which is I have this child who no one else can see, his spirit's with me. Okay, deep breath. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's such a
0: tough thing to talk about openly, but having like what your friend had said to you, its it's something that needs to be, talked about openly, something that when you bottle it up or when you push people away, it, it, it's hurtful and harmful to yourself, right? You need to let those people in, the people, and I, I love that you just said, you know, sometimes the best thing you could hear was, you know, ah, I don't know what to say. Because I think so often what happens when we know somebody's grieving, we don't know what to say. So instead we say nothing right? We, we stay quiet and we,
1: and that is, you know, doing nothing is the worst, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's really because it feels like you already feel invisible when you've lost a child and you don't have other children, the parent, you feel like a parent and yet you feel invisible to everyone. And you're kind of walking around this ghost of a child and you feel like, I just want to be seen. I just want to be acknowledged. And when people brush under the rug and, you know, carry on, because a lot of people, that's how they deal with heart matters is they just bottle it up. So it's knowing like it's not personal when they do that. And also that everyone grieves differently. And yet I think that's sort of an old school way of doing things. And it's not helpful um, both for like physiologically your heart health. And it's also not helpful for community and family and growth, talking about these things and sharing like what it really means to lose someone, and and then staying connected is far um, more beneficial to the people who are grieving and the people around. Because I can tell you, like when Russ and I say work's name, it's almost like the people around us are relieved because they're not sure should we bring him up. Does it hurt? And I've had people say, "Well, I know it was his birthday, and I I should have said something. I didn't want to hurt your feelings." I'm like, "Well." Like, you're not going to remind me of him. I, re- I think of him every day. <laughs> so it's not, it, it, that's never going to happen. And it's an honor for me for you to say his name. It reminds me that he had an impact on you or that you remember him. And I think that's one of the biggest fears of every bereaved parent is their child's going to be forgotten. Like, we are, the, one, we are the, the guardians of their memory. And that can feel like a very, very surmountable Thing to take on so when the loved ones around you take that on a little bit it's very helpful
0: yeah yeah so true and it you know it's it's funny because i i have lost people in my life you know never a child but i think it's important that we don't compare our journeys to right it's I think it was Jessica Jansen I was interviewing and we talked about this. She her also losing her little baby boy Lewiston. But she said, you know, grief is grief, love is love, joy is joy, pain is pain. And comparison is the thief of joy. So when you start comparing your journey to others and thinking, oh, you know, this happened to me and her story is so much more traumatic than mine, and I should just not talk about it because of that, you know. We're all connected, and when we share our truths and our stories, regardless of you know whose is worse or whose is better or who dealt with more, you know, it's it, the comparison part is so so harmful to it. Like being connected and sharing our truths is everything, and that's what I really want to achieve in the YGT Mama community specifically, and on this podcast and in the books, it's that true connection. It's sharing our truths and you've done it so eloquently with so much grace in both books. You know, you share very raw, intimate details of your journey, but not once do I feel sorry for you. Not once do I say poor Danielle, you know, I, I, I'm just so in awe of how powerful you are and how you've really taken what's happened and turned it into a lesson. And I love that in your bio you you call yourself a grief student because again not have having lost a child myself, but knowing what grief feels like, we have to be a student of that. We have to always be willing to, to look for the lessons at least. And I, I feel like you do such a great job of sharing that in the chapter. Can you share a little bit of that with us today? You know, what, yes. what those lessons are for you?
1: So it was a, it was a rocky road. <laughs> um, the, you know, the months following Rourke's passing, we, I would say that we allowed ourselves to just totally do whatever it took, which was escapism. So movies, books, um, you know, we're lucky enough to do some travel wine uh, nighttime walks along the river banks, just like basically meandering and trying to find like, where, what are we doing in life? Like what's going on? Because it felt like we were lost and I'm certain our parents thought we were going to sell everything and, you know, move or something because yeah we it felt like we had lost our purpose like we were going to be parents and now what and what had happened is because i had preeclampsia so early all of the maternal fetal medicine doctors told me it was very unlikely i would have another successful pregnancy and i had a few doctors say like just go straight to adoption you're risking your life this is um this is scary so that really shifts you know what you're doing in life and I was lucky because my work was really good and and Russell's employment was really good where we got to have some time off after that. And then when he went back to work, I took my maternity leave. And I was lucky that I was able to take maternity leave because of um, Rourke's, like how long he had lived and it all worked out. Because that's not always the case for people who've lost babies. And I used that time to become a grief student. And I, I literally thought to myself, well, everything shifted in my life. Like my belief systems changed. I was mad at God. I was angry at everyone around me. Like I was not in the place I am now right after he passed, not even close. So I kind of took it one step at a time. And the first thing I did was get outside. And I say our dog, Winston, um, he's almost six. So he was a, a puppy when Rourke was born. He forced me out of the house every day. You know, so I say he saved my life because if I didn't have to get out of the house with him, I probably wouldn't have. And I don't think I would have taken what I think is like step one in in moving through grief, which is get outside and get moving. And movement really helps. You know, we know that it helps with mental health and it helps in, you know, postpartum anxiety and, and depression and stress and um Uh, that really helped me in my grief. And it also helps for me to be outside. And so Russ kept saying like his church was nature. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, church, church for me became nature. Like I talked to Rourke every time I walked, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to be with my son. And it was my therapy for a long time, just being outside with Winston and, and being in nature. Um, And that's why, you know, we did this dedication to him and instead of doing um a traditional tombstone in a cemetery, we did a picnic table in a park with a plaque um overlooking the riverbank and the rocky mountains and so it, the reason we did that is because that was our our place that really helped us heal was that area so step one for me was really just doing that and then the other part of that um being outside and connecting with nature was learning how to slow everything down because I was a type, like total type A, move as fast as I could. My career is everything. And I, you know, now I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And it felt like, I'm not sure if I should go back to finance because what's the point now? Like everything to me was up in the air. Like what's the meaning in this? And I was able to really slow everything down and, have like a perspective shift in check where I realized, you know what, there's importance in everything. There's joy in everything. There's, you know, not everyone has an easy ride. I was lucky up until that point to have what I would consider like a very um, joy-filled, non-traumatic life. And I realized, you know what, lucky me, I actually lived 29 years without anything significantly bad happening. Like that, it could have been seven. It could have been fifteen. Like I I realized, I was lucky, and I was also lucky that I got to hold my son for twenty three days and parent him for twenty three days and feel him and and see what he was like for Russ and I to have a combined, you know, soul. Um, So I started to look at things from like, okay, what is the gift in all of this? And having a shift in my thinking towards gratitude, I would say was like it blew it wide open. And now like even um, having some postpartum anxiety after our most recent baby, I went back to gratitude. Okay, what am I most grateful for today? What am I most grateful for in this moment? And gratitude by far has been the game changer.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we talk about gratitude a lot on the show. It really is applicable to all areas of life. And, you know, it's, it's funny because unless you have had to implement a gratitude practice, people kind of look at you and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm grateful. I, I you know, I have gratitude, but it really is, it's a practice. It's something that you have to focus on. It's something that you have to pay attention to. Um, you know, my gratitude practice specifically, I write it down. I have a gratitude journal. Um, okay. That's what helps me. I, you know, it might not be for everyone, but you really, it really is something that you have to consciously put an effort into and it's transformative, right? It, it like, having a gratitude practice will transform your life because it really is everything. It changes your perspective and it whatever you believe in the universe, God, the vibrations of what's happening out there, but it really, it really does raise your, your vibration in this world. And when you are walking around full of gratitude, it shows you're the person that people want to be around. And I really believe that's, that's how you do what you do and share your story so eloquently. It's the gratitude. It's finding gratitude in things that most people would not be able to think of the word gratitude when talking about your story. So I, I just think that's really powerful. So thank you for sharing that.
1: You're, yeah. I, well, I'm in awe with being around you and all the other mamas who I feel like you empathize without, like having walked that, it's that is such a gift. And the open heartedness is, um, it's really what helps people heal as well, is being around people who are like, okay, I can talk about this. Like, we can go deep fast. Because I think most bereaved parents, that's what they want. The, the superficial stuff has got to be left behind because you're like, this doesn't matter. And that's why a lot of relationships falter. You want to go deep, you want to have meaningful conversations. So, thank you, Sabrina. Hmm.
0: Well, it's, I, I just, I love the community that we're building and I, I really, I just see such a shining star in you. I know that you're going to help so many people on this journey that you're walking now and that's really just going to, you're just going to know that work's life was not you know, he was here for a reason. And that's so you can help so many other people. And that's just such a beautiful, beautiful, powerful thing. I wanted to read something from your chapter, if you're okay with that. It's an analogy that you talk about when it comes to grief. And I just, I found it so powerful and so moving. Um, yeah. So if, if you're okay with that, I'm just going to read it. Let's go for it. <laughs> okay. At first grief is like a huge boulder unimaginable and too heavy to carry. It keeps you paralyzed and is exhausting, but it doesn't stay that way. It transforms you becoming lighter and easier to carry until one day you realize it's much more like a marble in your pocket, always with you, never gone though much lighter. This marble will be oh so shiny, absolutely adored, immensely loved and always needed. So I thought that was just such a beautiful analogy for anyone that's struggling with the boulder on their shoulder right now.
1: Yes. And so my friend had shared that with me and, um, it, it, another moment in my life where it just shifted. I'm like, okay, I don't have to totally release Rourke in order to continue healing. You know, like I, he's with me. I, I just keep this with me and it's just becoming more cherished and lighter and that is the truth. And I know they say like time heals and I don't think that's hopeful <laughs> at all. <Yeah. laughs> um, it, however, I will say that it does get lighter and it's because you learn to walk with it. You know, you're not leaving it behind. And I, one thing that Russ and I kind of um, adopted as a philosophy was that we were going to feel it to free it. And for us, that meant that okay, what do we want for our family motto? What do we want to um, bring to the table in our marriage and in our our family? Because we had planned on having more children, regardless of how that looked. And one of the big things was I was like, well, I don't want people to look at me. And just, you know, in the first five seconds of talking to me, say, oh, okay, she's sad. (laughs) She's lost a child. You know, see this cloud around me. I didn't want to be that way. So we both worked really, really hard and keeping a positive mindset, which I, I will say takes work when you're grieving. Like it's not, you have to, it's a choice every day to say, okay, what am I grateful for? What am I going to do today? That's going to make me physically feel better. Um, and then how am I going to carry this in a way that is lighter today? And I think it's really, really easy to get bogged down. And I don't begrudge anyone who does because like, there's days where it still hits me and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not, I'm going to be isolated. I'm going to eat ice cream. I'm going to (laughs) just, you know, cry. And usually it's Rourke's birthday. Like birthdays have not gotten easier. Um, they are a hard, heavy day. However, um, the day, the next day is always better. (laughs) and and That's the way it's been. So I, I think, you know, it's easy to get bogged down in, in the heaviness of grief. But I think that if you feel it and you you share it with someone, it really does free it. So we're really lucky to live in this um, total connected online community world because it's hard to find sometimes people in your community who've, who, you know, walk the same path and you can look to, I say, for inspiration. So one of the things I became obsessed with, which might be kind of strange to some people, was hearing similar stories. So I was Googling like micropremies born early, getting neck, passing away, moms with preeclampsia. Like I wanted to hear all these stories and I wanted to meet people online um, who had survived. I wanted to meet the survivors. Like give me some inspiration that you have gone through this and you're okay. And I did. So I felt like, okay, I've met these people. They, and not all of the stories were the same. A lot of them similar, though. And some of them, you know, total kindred storylines. Like, they had a little lion, too. That's what we Ror. It was our little lion. Um, they had a similar birthday and then um, passing day. Um, moms who had preeclampsia. Like, different things along the way that really connected us to this bigger picture of everything and as you said you know whether it's god or universe or vibrations it didn't matter where we were coming from we all connected on the same level which was we lost a child we're shattered we want to survive and we connected so i would say that's another big piece is connect however that is if it's in person or at a grief group or online if there's someone out there who has walked this as well and they will lend a hand down to lift you up
0: absolutely. And I think that's such a a great segue into talking a little bit about mental health. And it's about connection. It's about sharing your story, bottling it up and holding it in is not going to help anyone, yourself included, sharing what's going on with you, reaching out to other people saying, here's my story. You know, if, if you have a similar story, let's talk. You know, let's do this. And that is everything. And that is what our community is based on and so many other communities. It's genuine connection. You know, Brené Brown actually talks a lot about human connection and how, you know, in a world of so much technology, we're so disconnected and what we crave is human connection. But if we use things like social media to reconnect with people or connect with people that we may not have otherwise had access to, I think that's such a positive way to use social media. You know, like you said, just you can Google (laughs) stories in, in intense detail and find your tribe that way. And I think that's such a powerful thing. And it's amazing how many comments and how many private messages I've got saying, you know. I connected with so-and-so on that podcast episode or so-and-so's chapter in the book. And, you know, it's just amazing because we're doing that. We're sharing our stories. We're paving the way for more people to step up and share their journey and help other people. And my hopes is that it's a trickle effect the same way you know bell is done for the bell let's talk about mental health we can do the same for moms everywhere you know open up that discussion open up the conversation and talk about things that are less desirable to talk about but necessary
1: right yes, yes absolutely yeah we um so last year we did a a radio fun um for the children's hospital and afterwards one of the grief counselors that we had worked with sent me a message and she said I just want you to know that a dad was listening and he contacted me and he had lost his daughter 10 years ago and hadn't received any counseling or support and he heard your story and he was motivated to get you know some help and she said I just wanted to like thank you and I was like no thank you that made you know the time that we put into that and and the energy because there is an energy in and it's a good thing, like it helps us heal. At the same time, it's um, it's reliving everything, right? And being in the hospital, which can be really heart-wrenching. Um, so that meant a lot. You know, if, if you can just, if you know, sharing your story, you just help one person even, I think it really, really means something. And the more you share, like the more I have people say, you know what, you are really honest and open about something that I'm like, this has happened to me, or this has happened to my sister. and it inspired me to be open. It's like, why am I afraid to talk about this? And I think what happened for us is, like, I kind of just didn't care anymore because I was so shattered. So I didn't talk about our miscarriage at eight weeks um, because I wasn't, um, I was in this like, okay, well, what's the right way of talking about this? And I had too many thoughts about like what was appropriate etc and after work passed I'm like I don't even care like I'm just gonna talk about things the way the way I'm feeling too bad for you and then after our our daughter was born um a year and a half later I felt like okay you know what people want me to just show photos of our healthy daughter her name sterling and you know carry on in a healthy way but you know what it's not like that there's still terrible days this is like it comes in ebbs and flows. It's not gone. I just, it's not a linear thing. I don't just have another child and everything's better. So I continue to share really openly. So my social media platform is not beautiful to look at. Like it's, I would say it's quite real. Like there's a lot of days where I'm like, okay, I, they probably didn't want to read that. Or some, some people did want to read that. Right. So it's, it's more for, um, Myself and and possibly my children to read one day than it is for the approval of others, which I hope is why people share in the first place anyway, right?
0: For sure. And we talk about that a lot on the show too, you know, these perfectly curated little squares on Instagram. But, you know, uh, we all do what we've got to do. And Instagram is a great business tool as well. But I think what people are craving is genuine human connection. And you get that through what you're sharing. You get that through the reality of it, through the real deal, the real stuff, not through, you know, a Photoshopped, like filtered image that looks completely perfect. And, you know, no judgment on anyone. Again, it's like people use that platform for business and I totally get it, but I connect much deeper with reality uh, you know, I, I've learned to really not compare myself to the picture-perfect things. I, I've i worked in the modeling industry. I know the smoke and mirrors that can go on. Yeah. So I, I just don't compare myself to that. You know, you do you, everyone. <laughs> and, that, and that's great. But yes, yeah, so I really feel like that true connection comes from from sharing our truths, whether it be on Instagram, through writing, through blogging, through talking on a podcast, or just through... You know, meeting up in your community, or whether that be an online community or a you know real live community in person, it's it's about sharing and connecting.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes that means even um, you're sharing stuff that, like as you said, starting this podcast, really scares people. And I do think that losing a child is the scariest thing to think about, and not something, you know, like you don't really even want to think about it or let your mind go that way because maybe there's this feeling like if I think about it, it will help bring it to fruition or something, right? Like there's whole yeah. um, energy around that. So I, I totally get that. And so when we lost um, our daughter, Ellie, who was born still halfway through the pregnancy, there was a lot of people who didn't want to acknowledge her because I think it shook them to the core. Like, how did this happen again? And believe me, me like, that was the first thought that happened to me is like, what the hell? Like, why, <laughs> why, why, why? And yet, working through that and sharing it was something where I connected with even more moms who had had several miscarriages, several losses, um, even multiple losses, like having a baby... And then the baby passing at two years old, and then losing adoptive children back to the birth mother, et cetera—like multiple deep losses—and you don't want to think about it. But you know, and this mom is someone who is a a light; like she just shines, and she's Mm -hmm. she was born on the sunny side, you know. So (laughs) um, it's amazing to be around someone like that, though, because they inspire you. In to keep your head up and you know look up always and I think it's just so important, like regardless of what your story looks like, it's important to share it because we're not immune to trauma. We're not immune to suffering. And it's really naive to think that you just get one thing in life and then you're good, which I actually did think. I was like, okay, when Sterling was born, I'm like, okay, she's here to stay no matter what, because we've gone through it. There's no way we're going to lose another child. And I will say like, after we lost Ellie, it really shook me because I, I mean, we just had another baby. Her name's Bronwyn. And my postpartum anxiety with her has been rocky. And it's because I realized it can happen again, you know, like (sighs) suffering happens on all levels and there's, there's trauma that could be coming down the pipe (laughs) that I'm not aware of. Right. So, um, it really made me step up even more so and say, okay, calm down i went to my calm app which i think is a lifesaver and <laughs> i've suggested it to many many people um, and let myself get to the deep breath again and meditative sleeps which really really help yeah and then getting back to okay well what helped me basics moving being outside taking care of myself and then what what am i grateful for every day yeah
0: absolutely I think it's, it's such an important message because, you know, grad, having a gratitude practice, having some kind of physical activity practice, it doesn't have to be a rigid gym workout or, you know, a class, but just moving, getting up and moving, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, just getting out of bed is the first yes, step to anything. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's Mel Robbins. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar yes. with the five-second rule. Yes. It's, <laughs>
1: five, it's four, three, two, one. Exactly. It's been
0: Uh-oh. such a game changer for everything negative in my life. Any day where I don't feel like doing something or, you know, maybe... I'm a little bit down or under the weather, it's like okay, five, four, three, two, one, and there's nowhere to go from there. You don't count up, you count backwards because once you get to zero, there's nowhere else to go, but you have to move. And I think, you know, that's a really a really great message is we we just need to keep going, you know, one foot in front of the other, get outside, keep moving, keep breathing, keep walking, keep talking. You know, that's that's all we can do. That's all we can do is move forward. So yeah, think, And
1: just remind yourself that yeah. there's a season for everything. And that, and like, even in your grief. So um, when Rorke passed, it was the end of summer. And I remember thinking, okay, everything, I'll feel better in January. And then January came and I'm like, okay, I do feel a little bit better. I still feel like crap though. Okay, April will be better. And I kept thinking like, okay, the next season. And it it actually helped me get through the first year because it was like, okay, I, I'm making progress. I know I am. <laughs> It will get better. Um, but that's, that's everything. Like there's times in motherhood where it's really challenging and it's just a season and same with, you know, like even for sometimes sadness in the winter, it's just a season. It'll get better. Exactly. I always say
0: this too shall pass. (laughs) Everything is temporary. Right. Well, Danielle, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing so intimately your your story. I know it's going to help so many people. I just, I know there's big things coming for you girl i i just know that you're going to be doing like you know big talks for the hospitals and like, you're going to be such an advocate for change in the whole grief world so thank you for sharing and and i'm just so grateful to have our paths have crossed and to have met you and to have been a part of your journey and I'm, I'm just so happy to have you here. So thank you again.
1: Thank you, Sabrina. It's definitely serendipitous and I feel uh, feel like we're kindred. So thank you. Thank you. Yay. So for our listeners, how do they find you? Um, okay. So on Instagram um, and on the website that I've created that I need to do some work on. Um, so I will, yeah, I, I think connecting on Instagram is probably the easiest way right now. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, I will put all of your connections and everything that we've talked about today, all the resources in the show notes for our listeners. And I'm just so excited for your chapter to come out. So everyone can read. (laughs) Yes. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful piece. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. And we will catch up with you soon, Danielle. Thank you again for being here. Thanks, Serena. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sabrina Greer, your host, and you've been listening to You've Got This Mama, the podcast. You can follow us at YGT Mama and join the conversation on Facebook and Instagram to get more information on the stories we share here, our community, our books, or the blog, head on over to www.YGTMama.com. You can also access the show notes there. If you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your daily listen and subscribe to The Tribe, rate and review this podcast. That helps keep us alive and we deeply value every review. I would like to thank the production team and Megan Krumpetich, our producer, for making this happen. Thank you so much to all of you for giving us your ear. We hope you tune in next week. But in the meantime, please remember, you've got this, Mama.